Iamar prestar sen, han mathanon nen, han mathanachaya, ahanaston nedwilith. That's some form of elvish. In the common tongue, it reads, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring film released 20 years ago this month. Don't you feel old, older even than one of the Dunedain Rangers? This film truly changed our world forever. Now we shall host a good Narnian prince, Rillian himself, returning from last Christmas. This time we will explore how Christians loved exploring Peter Jackson's one film trilogy to rule them all from 2001 until today. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, a podcast from Lorehaven in which we explore the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author Jesus has called us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I publish Lorehaven. I'm also the co-author of a non-fiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell. And 20 years ago, when Lord of the Rings came out, I was in my 20s, and now that I'm in midlife... You can call me Zach the Gray. And this is episode 92. 20 years later, how did we enjoy The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? And we'll be joined today by Rillian from Narnia Web. Everybody debates whether a certain action hero movie is a Christmas movie, or rather it's actually all very one-sided. I haven't found that faction out there that's arguing, no, it's not a Christmas movie and I'm going to die hard on this hill. But no one really gets into the debate about whether the Lord of the Rings films are Christmas movies. And to me, they are. Not just because Gandalf looks vaguely Santa-like, but because... Since 2001, 2002, 2003, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is inexorably a associated with Christmas. I saw these films for the first time around Christmas. There was always, uh, back then, there was Lord of the Rings merch uh, that was part of the Christmas spread when I was growing up. And of course, I now watch these films when I do only around Christmas time, uh, not just because they're really Isn't long. That funny? Yeah. yeah, it is. Well, not, true. not just because they're really long and it uh, usually ne- you need some time off uh, to get through them, even if you split them up over several nights, but just because the meaning of them for me is associated with Christmas. And every year before we start the Christmas music season, uh, I listen to the entire complete recordings of the Lord of the Rings uh, soundtrack by Howard Shore. You know, that that is something I was discussing with some other people recently, that even the music for this trilogy is so memorable and it's so well done it's such a faithful adaptation of the feel of the books and not to mention how closely the the movies mirror the books and it's just very nostalgic it it feels like will we ever get that again because um everything must be co-opted nowadays for one message or another and uh the Lord of the Rings is just, uh, it really just takes you into the world of the books. It, like it makes you love the books so much more, but, um, you know, it, it's been 30 years since I've read the books. So, uh, you're, you're a more recent reader of the books than me, Steven. So you can probably speak more to how well they follow, but, um, and I know there's some, you know, some big complaints that the, the hardcore fans like your wife have, uh, w- with the adaptation, but overall, I just think it's so fun to watch this movie. It's so refreshing. It is. And yes, you allude to some of the fan complaints that Rillian and I get into those in our conversation for sure. I don't mind those so much because, as you said, things could definitely be worse. I was talking with another fan (laughs) of the films in my family. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine what you'd be referring to there. Uh, That's one of our episodes (laughs) that maybe we'll get to uh, next year. Uh, Speaking of our schedule for next year, I wanted to update y'all in the listening audience about how we're going to handle Fantastical Truth over the holidays. Uh, This, I believe, episode 92 
is our next to last episode for the year. We will have one more coming out uh, and we'll uh, queue that up at the end of uh, this show. And that one will be another episode uh, with uh, James Hannibal and Marion Jacobs and I uh, from a recent uh, Realmakers live stream. That will be our last episode of the new year. And then I believe it's Tuesday, January the 4th that uh, Zach and I will be taking off. Uh, there will not be a new episode on that day uh, after, the, uh, after the New Year's Day weekend. Also, however, there will be something new uh, called the Lorehaven Guild. We're launching this, and this is sort of a pre-announcement of that new feature for Lorehaven. We're going to launch this, I hope, in January. The January date will be announced exclusively first to subscribers of Lorehaven. So go to lorehaven.com and get that free subscription. If you want to go directly to the long form, you can go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. The Lorehaven Guild will be an online community hosting monthly book quests through Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. Old stuff like The Lion, No Witch, No Wardrobe, or new stuff of books that Lorehaven has positively reviewed. And you'll just be able to meet other readers of the webzine and other listeners of the podcast and share in the growing community for these kinds of stories. It's going to be very fan-focused, so not a, not a writer's community. We've got plenty of those, uh, but just a place where... Christian fans of all ages can meet one another and enjoy and explore these stories together. Yeah, you remember those old days when we used to gather around the fire and talk about books and uh, just talk about the parts we like or maybe our theories or even the parts that we kind of groan at a little bit. That's very much what this is going to be, but in a more convenient factor that can allow us to be gathering with people worldwide. And in January or just before, we will send out the sign-up link for that server. You'll be able to get that by subscribing to lorehaven.com. So before Rillian enters the studio, let's get our first sponsor for this episode. Once again, Mountain Brook Fire with a new fantasy title. This one is Heaven Came Down, a book for adult readers of apocalyptic and sci-fi thrillers with a supernatural twist. This comes from author Brian Davis, known for his dragon novels. This one has the description as follows. Heavenly messengers or deadly parasites? In the chaotic aftermath of apocalyptic war, the strange lights in the sky heralding the coming of unearthly beings seemed like an answer to prayer. When the heavenly visitors entered, selected people, and transformed them into angels who demanded obedience in exchange for the restoration of order, the majority accepted their new rulers. But Ben Garrison and his siblings, Jack and Trudy, have seen a dark side to these so-called angels. They join a rebel faction with one goal, destroy the invaders, and free the world from their tyranny. There's more to that book description. You can find that in our show notes for this episode, or you can go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. There you will also find the cover for this book and the purchase links at Amazon and elsewhere. Rillian has returned to the studio aboard the back of a flying horse, not a Middle-earth means of transport, but certainly a Narnian means of transport. That's how we met, he and I, uh, back on the Narnia web forums uh, back in the 2000s. Uh, before, during, and after the release of those films, uh, which, of course, followed after the success of the Middle-Earth trilogy from Peter Jackson. But really, and along with other of our friends, uh, such as Glumpuddle and Jim Fenn, uh, are running the Talking Beasts podcast, obviously a Lewis reference there from his Narniad Septet. We used to do episodes back when, uh, for example, the Dawn Treader movie came out, uh, which was the subject of Rillian's in my last episode on Fantastical Truth at this time last year. Uh, Glumpuddle, we haven't had him on this podcast, but he's still on Talking Beasts, and I was amused going to get all the links and everything. They have a quote up at the Talking Beasts link uh, from one of the Narnia screenwriters, Stephen McFeely. Really, 
where did this come from? Where it just says, uh, Glumpuddle, I have issues with you. Glumpuddle would remember uh, completely, but I, I'm sure he has it like engraved in crystal on his mantelpiece or something. Uh, I think it was actually like a red carpet event. I think uh, it was some kind of publicity event. Uh, maybe, I don't know if it was Comic-Con or a, a red carpet event uh, where it was just one of those. I think he was talking to people about some of the fan coverage and uh, he was talking about how much he appreciated the fans. And then he said, Glenn Puddle, I have issues with you. Uh, <laughs> so, I'll take it. And then now this is uh, one of the, the top screenwriters that, in the world from the, the Avengers his, franchise. Yeah. The fact that uh, the, one of the writers knew him, him by his online moniker uh, tickled in pink, I'll say. So, well, we're keeping yeah. online monikers here. Uh, you guys buy online monikers. Explore the Narnia books and films uh, at Talking Beast. You're interviewing scholars and actors. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the episode y'all had a few weeks ago, which was the meeting of the Caspians. It was Samuel West, who plays yep. Caspian in the BBC's Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, as well as Ben Barnes, uh, who played Prince and then King Caspian in the uh, Prince Caspian and Dawn Treader movies from Walden Media. It was just great to hear them compare notes and you know, Ben Barnes is saying, like, I loved watching you, uh, Samuel West, in the in the BBC Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, and you guys, of course, in the podcast, at least as we record now, are actually wrapping a, uh, a kind of a series within a series going through the BBC miniseries about yep. the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Now, that, that's basically, amusing to listen to because I haven't, I haven't seen that Basically, we rewatch the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader BBC series. Like, we just rewatch each episode, like, before each recording episode and review it the way we would review it if it were coming out now. Uh, and we do, we actually, it's interesting enough that we don't even, it doesn't even have a lot of comparison to Walden. Every once in a while, we might mention something, but most of it, it's kind of a standalone review of the BBC. Yeah, the BBC Narnia films uh, were in existence before the Middle Earth films. And I, I don't think there's a lot of similarity between those either. I was amused, by the way, y'all need to go check out this series, but I was amused that you mentioned in the podcast talking beast that somehow you had all along missed the sea serpent fight <laughs> uh from the start of what is it episode three of the dawn treader yes. series yeah have yes. you figured out how you missed that did someone censor it from you because it was too scary for apparently, for, for there, were, apparently there were multiple edits okay. for different oh, releases interesting when i okay. watched it it was a vhs like a vhs movie um and it was a two-part package you know they would Remember those old plastic VHS? Yeah, they'd have a little paper divider between the two. This is is even before the days when iPods had moving parts for for those who want to make me feel really old. But uh, yeah, you had like those big plasticky cases. Well, you had like the double, the double cases for two VHS tapes. Because, you know, if you went over like 98 minutes or whatever you had, or, you know, two hours, two and a half hours, you had to get it on two, two VHSs. So you had Prince Caspian on one. And Voyage of the Dawn Treader on the second VHS, and it cut out. Uh, I think that was the only thing it cut out, but it did cut out the Sea Serpent. Now, see, I uh, had so I did not know it was VHS. done. I had no idea that anyone had adapted the Sea Serpent. That's funny. other than the Walden version. So, so it, so it just ended with a cliffhanger. Oh no, it's a Sea Serpent, and then, and then you pick up the the next episode or the the rest of the movie, and and then he's not there. Well, no, you. Uh, it, it didn't have any of those uh, breaks so at all. Oh wow. As, it was edited as one movie. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's how I saw it. I, I didn't even know it was a miniseries at first. And I think, like, I think the movie. way, like, for example, the line with the wardrobe version that someone gave us, it had one break because it was two VHS tapes. And so they did include the end credits for the end of 
like the first half, which would have been because it was six episodes, so probably three episodes in. It included that break uh, for episodes, but then it didn't include, didn't have like uh, the end credits, and then it just starts up the next episode. It was, it just basically was like a part one, part two with end credits for part one, and then starts off with the yeah, yeah, part two. I still like that musical theme. Uh, interesting, because, of course, we're not talking about uh, Narnia per se this time, but uh, I believe there was at one point a Fellowship of the Ring theatrical edition VHS release. This is how old we are. I mentioned at the top of this show, Fellowship of the Ring, the, the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the 2001 film is now 20 years old, everyone. And it is old. How old is it? It is so old that it, yes, it did have a VHS release. And then even the uh, tradition, even the DVD release, remember the extended cut, uh, they had to break that into two parts as well, because this movie is so huge. You even had trouble fitting it onto the DVD. And then when they released it, uh, re-released on Blu-ray, they kept the cut in the same place, which I think is genius uh, because then you can just take the disc and swap it right into that gorgeous uh, DVD of extended uh, release set that released in 2002. Uh, we just skipped ahead accidentally to the home release, uh, but uh, really we're going to talk about uh, chapter one of this discussion, uh, stepping back, uh, time warping back uh, to 20 years ago, or or maybe even longer ago, depending on how nerdy you are, how how far enough in advance you knew this film was coming from Sepeta Jackson. How did we discover the Lord of the Rings books and films? And I have an inkling, ha ha ha, that you are the bigger nerd in this case. Uh, and that's not an insult. That is a compliment because uh, I was so, late coming to this fan. What about you? So I, I am a Tolkien fan on a C.S. Lewis podcast. Um, I, I love C.S. Lewis, I, I, but I, I have probably in terms of like, I haven't. I've read a lot of the major works of Lewis, right? Screwtape Letters, Abolition of Man, you know. Um, but the, I probably, but like I, uh, I just read Roverandom recently, which is one of L- Tolkien's children's stories. I'm, I'm uh, actually reading some of Tolkien's other lesser-known non-Middle Earth fantasies right now. Um, so I, I probably, in some ways, I feel like I've read more of Tolkien's other non-famous works than Lewis's non-famous works. So I grew, my dad, uh, like I was raised on like the old, like the Ralph Bakshi, you know, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I I watched anything Lord of the Rings I could get. Um, And my dad was reading to me from a very young age, I think around age seven. I don't remember how old I was. First time we read Lord of the Rings, we got to She Loves Lair, and I said, it's too scary. You need to stop. And so so how old were you then reading Lord of the Rings? Maybe seven or eight. Oh, I think wow. He was, that I is early. He was, right. he, well, he was reading them to us. Okay. Um, maybe I was closer to seven, I think. So we took a year off of the Lord of the Rings uh, and read Sherlock Holmes. Then we came back to Lord of the Rings after a lot of Sherlock Holmes. And I was a year older, and I could get through She Loves Lair without it being too scary. Uh and so we finished the book and then I was reading the books on my own, probably at age 11. Um, and so let's say the movie came out in 2001. The first trailer, I think came out in 1999. Is that right? It's first. I believe teaser. so. Yeah. Well, it was like the, and, the half teaser, half making of featurette. Yes. Yes. And was that the one that ended with the hero shot where uh, all nine members of the fellowship are climbing up over that rock and just sort of gazing meaningfully into the middle distance. It's nope. a shot that is in the film. That's not the it, first it trailer. The no, that's not. No, the, uh, that it had the some of the rudimentary footage from Helm's deep. It had some of 
it had i uh, remember this now yeah it had it, it was different it was it's flipped the shot of the urukai walking over the fields it's flipped to reverse and it, they put they superimposed mountain doom in the background um and instead of the eye of sauron it's it's this the it's uh or instead of those the hand of sauron it's eye of sauron so they switched up some of the cgi a bit in that famous shot uh but it's got that in there it has uh uh some of the stuff from weathertop in there but now I'll I'll send you the link. It's it was a pretty cool trailer. But I remember I was in my dining room and my dad was on the computer, uh, with his back to the window, facing east. And so wow. I I remember this. This is and he told here. me someone is making a movie of the Lord of the Rings. I thought, how could you make? How's someone making a movie of the Lord of the Rings? And he showed me the, the teaser trailer, and I was, dude, I was all over the web forums. This was like the baby days of internet. Web right, this is the late nineties. You know? Nobody has high speed. You know, just yeah. for younger oh, listeners, dude, it remember, was like, we've got internet, but this is a primitive version of it. You, you know, can I was like, barely see up, any you know? video. Yeah, did you all use the QuickTime? It was QuickTime dot movies. You do the thing where, like, yeah, we didn't. I was lucky. We didn't have fifty six k. We were on dual ISDN. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so you know, you do the thing where you like you select how many okay, how many days am I willing to wait for this trailer download? And you set it, you know, like okay, it's I'm gonna set it and wait like three days for this download trailer download or whatever uh, to get a like oh this is the 640 by 480 version resolution wow you know you got the good we can actually see the detail here uh, so yeah now I was on I think the form I was on most I was on. See, I remember these old forums. I didn't even know if they're still around. There was ringbearer.org, which was kind of a competitor to Torn before Torn became like the thing, right? Yeah, my wife spent a lot of time forums. on Torn. Yeah, I was on I was on the Torn forums as well uh, a little bit. I was on fantasyvault.com, uh, which is like a fantasy forum. Um, so yeah, I, and I was in all these discussions and stuff. We were discussing all the reports and like, oh my goodness, Arwen at Helm's Deep. Like uh, yeah, everyone. Oh, was, I remember like, Arwen at Helm's Deep. No, not Tom Bob. He can't be missing. What are they doing? To, you know, all those early discussions. I was fully involved in. It. I was a teenager. I was 13, 12, 13 when this was going on. And then four, I just turned 14 when the movie came out. Okay. Yeah. See, I was a little bit, little, little bit later in life. So I was going to college by that point. And so. I had limited access to high-speed internet. This is about 2001 when I'm actually seriously finally catching up to this. Um, the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, released in the United States on December 19th, 2001. Very good year. Very good day. Well, not a very good year. <laughs> there were some terrible terrorist attacks that happened a few months earlier, which I think, at least in terms of the uh, mainstream culture, boosted demand for these kinds of stories. And we can get into that a little I bit later. I think so. Yeah, I think oh, it's so. a battle for good and evil. We needed a story about those it, classic it, virtues writ is, large. It was funny is the, the uh, kind of the, pol the in politics, you don't hear postmodernism is definitely dominant in the culture today. But the the common moral relativistic trope is not the well, what's right for you is right for you is right for me. You don't hear that mantra so much. No, that was very dominant, very dominant in the 2000s. You heard it a lot. Now, I'll never forget, after 9-11, my home newspaper, which was a very, very left-wing little newspaper, it, the, the front page on September 12th was a full-page photo of the Twin Towers burning and the word evil 
in bold. There you the go. Top. That's all the, the entire headline wow. just said evil. That's wow. all it said. I don't know and what it is, but so I know st- it when I see it. That was, I thought that was so stunning. And I think that it was, uh, it was very much in the minds of people. I mean, there was a whole petition online to change the name of the second movie because they knew it was going to be called the two That's towers. Right. And they thought it was too, too, too much too soon. Total so, coincidence there. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a very timely film. Very much so. And in terms of technology, also timely, because you've already mentioned some of the early internet fan movements. I, I dare say this is one of, if not the first film that had so much online engagement, so many involved fans. I mean, in years before you and I met on Narnia Web, there were forums and other websites like the OneRing.net and a bunch of the yep. others that you've mentioned. Uh, and and such support, but also criticism uh, that uh, skipping ahead to The Two Towers, which released a year later, uh, maybe we'll do that 20-year anniversary discussion next year. Who knows? But there was so <laughs> much fan engagement there that long before released the Snyder Cut or Save Daredevil or any of the other fan movements now, you had fan backlash for certain you decisions, did. such as Arwen at Helm's Deep. It is correct. Yeah. Spoiler alert. There exists an alternate timeline where Sepita and all of those, whether they're under pressure from executives or whatever, uh, they put action hero Arwen fighting at Helm's Deep. They would have ruined it. Uh, they would have ruined Arwen's character, and they certainly wouldn't have been keeping with the books. Yeah, no, and I, I think the fan feedback, I think it was pretty crucial, actually. It was. Uh, I, I think that that, I think they saw, because they talk about it in the making of feature essay. They talk about how they, they do they very, openly. The fans, very openly. They were aware of what the fans, uh, you know, were going to tolerate and not. Um, and it, it's interesting the changes that you know over time people kind of warmed up to no one really talks about bombadil anymore um not not as much i mean they talk about it they talk about it but not in the sense of not in the sense of it being the grave sin they initially thought um there's some things that i i'm still hung up on um and there's some things i i am much more tolerant of than i was the first time i saw it um but uh, I'm kind of getting into the later films too. Uh, we right. Well, it is, is kind later. of all the same really. And, and you know, how much can we save for any potential future episodes? You know, it, we, we needn't think about it so much like a franchise. Uh, something else unique about uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings uh, film trilogy. Uh, the books, by the way, are not a trilogy, but I think, can we call the films a trilogy? I, I think we can, I mean, because can the Lord of the Rings Although, is really one book in multiple chapters. Yes, it was written as one book, but fortunately they made the decision to film it as one film. Exactly. Yeah, so that, which that was rather I unprecedented. Think, yeah, it, which, I mean, it's one, it's the huge financial gamble. I mean, now it's just a given that any successful, successful blockbuster is going to make over a billion dollars. That was not the case in 2001. It was not. Um, and to, to spend... 300 million on production uh for a trilogy with an unknown director it's really one of the biggest financial gambles i think in hollywood history and one of the it's amazing the payoff um and uh so many i mean and peter jackson went made the decision to go with uh i'm gonna say he went with actors instead of movie stars um there were like there was there was like the famous movie star Sean Connery, who is a good actor. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not an actor. Um, but it just didn't work out. Um, yeah, it's interesting how uh, so much could have gone wrong uh, and so much went well. 
Um, I, like I'm, for example, I'm way more forgiving now of Elijah Wood as Frodo. I thought he was way too young a Frodo, but you look at him now, he looks almost exactly the same. So if they had gotten a 40 year old Elijah Wood to play Frodo, uh, he would, it wouldn't look that much <laughs> different than it does now. Right. Insert um, your Elijah Wood stole a one ring prop and plot twist. It wasn't a prop right, and it's, it's uh, uh, added years prolonged I do wish his he'd life. been 40 years old. I do wish Elijah would have been 40 years old in the movie, but. Yes, because uh, yeah, he's a he's a middle aged Hobbit. Uh, Frodo is, you know, he's yeah. he's a little bit closer to Bilbo's age, and or Hobbits 30, are long yeah, livers yeah. even without uh, interference by uh, supreme dark objects of evil. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I understand they're trying to portray the innocence, uh, but I think we we kind of as, as fans, I think in retrospect, and even then, like I think we kind of forgive choices like that, just as we understand the choice to uh, leave out the Barrow Downs sequence, by the way, restraint by Peter Jackson, because if you go back and read it in the book, it seems like it would be totally up his alley. This strange yep. creature, he could have gone absolutely yep. horror movie auteur nuts with it and still been in keeping with the book. They cut it out along with Tom Bombadil. Um, and then, of course, in Return of the King, the scouring of the Shire, we, 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 we kind of, at least speaking for me, I think a lot of fans uh, as, as well as myself, we wish that they'd been kept in there, but we kind of get that they weren't like the changes they made overall seem to have been justifiable. Although don't ask my wife about Faramir, uh, in the two towers. That is, that oh, is yeah, unforgivable. Still, still, uh, unforgivable for me. So let's pause and hide from legions of orcs and turn to confront now. Oh, legions of battle robots, courtesy of T.E. Bradford's novel awakened. That's our second sponsor for this episode. Here's the back cover description for Awakened. What if your worst enemy was your only hope? What if saving your life meant destroying your beliefs? How far would you go to survive? Manufactured Anodic Commandos, or MACs, were designed for battle. Most people believe sending robotic soldiers into combat is better than risking human lives. But Kara has seen what happens when unfeeling, soulless automatons decide who lives and who dies. Machines don't care whether the enemy is holding a rake instead of a gun or that a six-year-old girl watches from a bedroom window. All they know is what they were programmed for, destruction. When Kara finds herself wounded and defenseless in the middle of a battle zone, she has no choice but to use the only weapon she can find, a disabled MAC. Without him, she won't make it out alive. With him, she might come out a different person. Will hate destroy her, or will the natural love of a creator for its creation? Open her eyes to a truth that changes everything. Get the full back cover description, purchase link, and book cover in the show notes for this episode, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. And there are some things that I actually had to give credit to Peter Jackson. I was never thrilled. I'm still not thrilled with Vigo Mortensen as Aragorn. I just have accepted he's a different Aragorn from the books. And I have to give Peter Jackson credit because I found out just within the last year. I always had my dream, the dream actor for Aragorn. I thought this would have been the Aragorn from Tolkien's novel, and that would have been Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, if you okay, want to watch okay. like a, if you want to watch like a, a, I always want to watch a movie about Strider. Go watch Last of the Mohicans. I mean, it's gonna, it's, it's like you're, wa- it's almost like you're watching a Middle Earth film with Strider. Um, I think Daniel Day Lewis had the power and royalty and commanding authority and just this image of he's experienced all these things in this kind of uh, this worn experienced life uh, that he could have brought to bear with Aragorn. Apparently I, I've, I saw it on the internet, so I know it was true, 
but I was reading some stuff that actually he was Air, uh, Peter Jackson's first choice for Aragorn. Really? He was, yeah, he, he didn't cast him because of course there was, um, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, uh, the guy from the bad extraordinary gentleman movie. Who was the, yeah? Who was the other guy, Stuart something guy, or other, who didn't work out as Aragorn? He didn't work out. He cast him as Aragorn. He didn't work out. First choice. Um, can't think of his name all, all of a sudden. Stuart Townend or something. Stuart like that. Townsend. Yes. Yeah, uh, because he cast him and then realized yeah that was a mistake. Fortunately, but no, he tried to get Daniel Day Lewis, and Daniel Day Lewis reportedly looked at the script and thought, well, I don't do big action blockbusters. That's not my thing. I want to do like a, a real character. I'm a character actor. And I think maybe Daniel Day-Lewis didn't realize what the character of Aragorn would have been. He could have, I think, fulfilled that goal with the character of Aragorn, for sure. Um, so it's unfortunate that he turned it down, because I think that would have been uh, that would have been the icing on the cake. But V.U. Mortensen is, I think, one of the greatest actors of our time. I, I think he's one of the greats right now um, out there. Uh, it's kind of funny, because he'll like retire from acting for five or six years come back earn an oscar nomination and this is go back like he got an oscar nomination for eastern promises he had backed out then he came back for captain fantastic got an oscar nomination backed out it's like now he's gone again yeah he's, uh, he's gone off on a ranch somewhere he's hunting wild boar you know he's, he's or hunting it himself on a fire and taming <laughs> wild horses yeah it's, I mean, he's shooting it, his black and white photography and, and then kicking a helmet and breaking his toe you know as uh, everybody yeah, uh, yeah. now so it's now not I, such a meta joke now among fans you know they're laughing at um, ourselves for pointing out like Oh, that one scene in the two tower, Viggo Mortensen kicked the helmet and then he starts yelling right. and he collapses to his knees. Like, that's because he actually broke his toe. And then everyone else in the room is groaning and rolling their eyes and just wishing we could watch the movie in right. peace. No, I, and I, I'm still not huge on Arwen at uh, the, um, at the river. Um, I still think. off his guard. I know. Well, they were still on the track for the two towers, uh, herbing at Helm's Deep at that point when they were editing and making it. You know, I, I hadn't get, thought about that. That's true. I have to say that I think that Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings film, which if you, anyone's ever seen it, is made in uh, 1978 when it came out. And it basically is the first two Lord of the Rings movies. Like it ends at the Helm's Deep after the Helm's Deep uh, ending. It's the. Uh, the climax there where Gandalf returns with Erkenbrand actually. Uh because they uh not Aomer? Not because they stay a little closer to the book in that regard. But he had legless coming. He may he I think he had the similar problem that Peter Jackson had with I don't want to introduce Glorfindel. He's this big powerful elf lord. People ask why doesn't he go on the quest? It's kind of these different questions that fans ask as you're watching a film. And he said, I'm gonna have Legless be the guy who comes and rescues him at the ford, which still kind of makes some sense, right? Yes. Um, that wouldn't that wouldn't be too crazy. I think that was a more correct decision than having Arwen for sure. Well, that so I'm makes still sense. Kind of, I'm still because it, se- it, it still seems kind of er- inconsistent with her character. People forget in the early days of the script, Arwen was part of the Fellowship. Oh my! That's what please, the studio please do not remind they me wanted, of this. They wanted Arwen at the yeah. They wanted Arwen as part of the Fellowship, and she was part of the Fellowship in some script iterations. Yeah, but, well, the studio got their um, way with similar impulses later on in the Hobbit trilogy by shoehorning in a completely uh, extra book uh, female elf character played admirably, um, and yet uh, was was just eh, unfortunately yes, not I, one of the downer moments of the of the Hobbit. I series. I own the entire Hobbit extended version, and Same. so I have no guilt about uh, having a certain fan edit. Oh dear! That I, that okay. I can recommend to you. Okay. Uh, okay. Off, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, this podcast. But we anyway, did talk about that off air. Yeah. So. But anyway, um, no, I have to say when I went to see the theater, like I was, I think I saw it. I don't know if I saw it opening night because this was back in the days of like true midnight showings, and I was fourteen. 
Yeah. And of course, my dad, who had been a Lord of the Rings fan longer than I was, I was not about to, he's not going to let his son see it before he did. So we went like, maybe not opening night, but like the next night, right? Like the first evening show. You've still out geeked me because I think I saw yeah. it like maybe within a week of its release because yeah. I still had so to catch we, up on the book. You know, I, so, I had never read the book before. And my parents, they thought about it and they did decide that my five-year-old brother was probably too young to see it agreed um as co-author of the pop culture parent i agree yeah they they (laughs) said five is it that's probably a little too young they said but he'll be six when the vhs comes out and he can watch it then oh wow (laughs) okay well every child is different (laughs) which he which he completely wigged out and loved it at age six that's Um, incredible that is incredible uh he, he uh yeah so I have to say, and like, so in preparation for this episode, because I used to watch Lord of the Rings every year, and then I kind of held off for a few years just because I wanted it to be more fresh, and so I do that now. Exactly. I'll, I'll yes. Like Plus, if you bit, wait long back. enough, you get an, a higher resolution release in whatever yes, you know, upgraded I, storage media. I don't media. have a 4K TV, so I need okay. to actually I got a 4K, 4K last year because Zack Snyder's Justice 4K. League. I have yeah. the theatrical okay. versions in 4K. The theatrical, but okay. I, I did wait till our uh, son went to bed because he's two, and I'll start him when he's... Uh, I'll start him young, but not at two. <laughs> so just at age five, watch, maybe I did six. watch bits because I'm going to rewatch them with my wife uh, last night in preparation for this podcast. I'm going to watch a few, just a few scenes from the Fellowship of the Ring to kind of like refresh my memory. So I watched the opening into like Gandalf meeting Bilbo, uh, and I watched the scene with Saruman and Gandalf's confrontation. I watched the Bridge of Khazad-dûm, and I watched the the ending of the film, the breaking of the Fellowship, uh, through the end credits and uh it really brought back so many memories i remember just feeling i think that it hit me uh with the prologue with the last alliance and the fight against sauron i mean it, i was just in awe and i thought because i thought they did it i mean i think that was the first thing that hit me i thought holy cow they pulled uh, so, it so, like, so i didn't know what was going to happen i knew they were going to be i still knew in the back of my mind so we're going back to december happened. when you saw it first not not when you rewatched it but Correct. okay Correct. all right yeah. so let me just cue this up real quick this is chapter two now. How did we experience the Fellowship of the Ring in December 2001? Everything's a little wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Good fans, true fans will remember that early experience and the amazement of it and, and then you know translate that to the present and then back again. Uh, and so I, I think for me, yeah, I, I, my wife and I rewatched Fellowship again in 4K um, just, a, just a few weeks ago. I uh, finally managed to get it up on the, on the 4K screen. Uh, and you know, for those who are holding out and maybe getting the set, yeah, definitely get it if you can, because they fixed a lot of the color issues that were going on in the Blu-ray release. I don't know what was going on there. It was just green everywhere from what I remember, especially for the fellowship. But going back, you just, at least I, I was able to recapture some of that thrill of seeing these events on the movie screen, uh, in that theater, uh, in December, 2001. So you were referring to that moment then of seeing the prologue. It began with the forging of the great rings or whatever the quote goes, you know, Gladrail's narrating, like, how are you at age what, 14 or 15? Like what's, what's, what can you remember 14. about seeing this? Okay. I was 14. I remember, uh, I remember just the thrill of seeing the dwarves on screen with the, the in the nine rings and the seven rings. And, uh, and the last alliance, I was still thrilled with the last lines. Cause I, I'm a big Silmarillion fan. I love the Silmarillion. Um, and of course, the Silmarillion is more of the first age, not the second age, which the last alliance is at the end of the second age. But 
uh, I, I loved seeing that. I thought it was so cool. I thought the way that they pulled off the elves fighting, um, it, it's just all these, these little subtle things that they did. Like the fact that, you know, when the elves fi- uh, release their arrows, they're standing like three or four rows back, but they're accurate enough. They just shoot right past Elrond's head, you know, and he doesn't even flinch. Just little things like that were so cool. And I'm also like, I'm a historical and competitive fencer in the past. And so I was into weaponry and actual little sword fighting. And I was riding horses at that point a lot. Um, I was still riding horses regularly at that stage of my life. So it, I was like, I was trying to live Middle Earth and it was so cool to see it come to life. I remember like actually feeling kind of, because I was 14, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of violent films and stuff. Like it was kind of horrifying seeing Sauron like kill all those elves and then like with, with one yes, yes. of the mace, you know. I mean, I remember actually getting this kind of shudder of like horror with the violence of that, right? In some ways, like that was the most violent thing reaction I ever had in the, watching the movies. Um, but, uh, it was just incredible. To, like, I remember seeing the Balrog for the first time and being rolling my eyes to seeing Arwen on screen and the cheesy line <laughs> that we knew was coming because I think that line like, made it on early. It was oh, right. so we thought, oh, great. You know, but uh, it's much better when she's praying for Frodo to survive. And then you hear the chorale even reference of the mighty Valar. You know, it's a reference to that spiritual depth of middle earth you've got to get in or at least they felt they had to get in these kind of oh well we're a blockbuster movie so we got to get in our blockbuster movie shtick and all the fans right. roll their eyes you know and legolas's action hero moments later you know and and Ar- arwen being the strong female character tm just completely unnecessary by the way you get aowen later you know you can get your jollies right. there and the i actually think RTK. i actually think that they i actually feel in hindsight they did aowen a disservice i think she wasn't strong enough in the films i i think that going to just jump a little forward to the return of the king I, mm-hmm. reading the book you read the book she's a lot more steely-eyed in the book facing down the witch king than she was in the that, movie. no that's that is true they, they mark her more, more vulnerable her. in the film version i yes she was more vulnerable i would have had her be a little less vulnerable in the film version maybe have her be a little stronger of a female character. I, I, that's one of my frustrations with her. Although up to that point, they do, uh, Miranda Otto does a fantastic job as Eowyn. Um, but no, there was so many great things they did. And it was incredible to me were the moments where they were able to come up with dialogue that in some ways, I mean, the books aren't perfect. They're about as perfect, I mean, short of the Bible, as you're going to get. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even like Boromir's death scene with Aragorn, it the dialogue is better than the book, I'm going to say. Um, you, you read the book after watching the movie, and it, it, there's not many instances of that, but there are a few. And the fact that they were able to pull off bits of that. One thing I realized, because I thought, what scenes do I want to rewatch? Because I, I wanted to save the movie experience, like rewatch it with my wife. Like I was even watching last night, and she was, you know, she put the our um two-year-old to bed and she was in the kitchen and she like walked past and saw the balrog scene she goes she just kind of says as she's walking by she goes i think this is one of the most memorable film scene experiences i've ever had in my life was the the balrog scene and i said do you want me to pause it so you can come back and watch it with me she goes yes there (laughs) you go and my wife's not a good one brother yeah she's not the huge fan that i am still uh that was but um, just things like that, and I think I one thing I realized because for some reason I thought well, I want to rewatch some scenes, kind of remember. So again, I watched the prologue, 
uh, through to like Gandalf meeting Bilbo. Watched Gandalf and Saruman fighting. I watched the Balrog in the Bridge of Khazad Doom. I watched the and I thought, oh well, maybe I shouldn't watch this. Uh, these scenes uh, I and mean, these are the scenes I want to really want to watch real quick. But I really want to watch character development scenes. Maybe I should watch those instead. But then I realized every single one of those scenes is a character development. They are character development scenes, and yes. that's one reason why the film works so well. I mean, you watch any really the whole bit. It's so well done from the balanced tomb to the bridge of costume they don't feel like mindless action scenes watching it again well i first still kind of on the how do we watch it you know back then like that was kind of my first take was oh my goodness they pulled it off yeah and i knew it wasn't going to be perfect i was never expecting perfection i was just wondering can they as a whole pull it off i i still think that the summary the best summary of the films is from dr michael ward uh who's a friend of mine and he told me one time um i think we were just discussing we were in oxford and we were discussing the films and one of our friends a mutual friend of ours she was still does not like the films, still has not forgiven them for she just doesn't like the films at all uh her husband egger on like oh i think movies uh better than the books, books. wow blasphemy yeah but um she was like well uh i just don't what do you she, she asked Spud, which is Michael Ward's nickname, uh, she goes, Spud, what do you think of the films? Um, yes, it's because he's bald. That, that, that's why he's called Spud. But she goes, what, what do you think of the films? He goes, the Lord of the Rings films are flawed and yet marvelous. There you go. And that, I thought that is, that is very true. And he basically said, yes, he goes, there are some cheesy moments. He goes, it's really silly when... Frodo comes to after destroying the ring, kind of the silly slow motion laughter bit. He goes, that, that's kind of silly. Because the fact that they were able to pull off bits like the the destruction of the ring, the Gandalf rescue at Helm's Deep, the you know, the Balrog, the, the 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 different things that they really pulled off, it's really incredible. And we take it for granted now. Um, but I think that that was kind of my first take was. These are there's some definite flaws that will always be flaws that I will never warm up to, and these films are still marvelous. I would agree with that, and and I think that that is a great way to view any kind of fantastical story that is flawed yet marvelous. And it always helps me to run through a little imagined simulation of what if it was the perfect film? What if it was the, you're sitting there watching a perfect film, no cheesy lines? no no differences from your memory of the book any of that well then you would never want to leave uh that a perfect film would be worthy of worship uh, and as a christian we're not supposed to worship anything perfect other than jesus christ so it's actually a little bit of a mercy that they put in some cheesy dialogue or maybe an actor who's not exactly uh like the character that you remembered from the book uh that to me actually i think makes the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring better because it is it is human you know it's a story mm -hmm. about flawed people trying to do heroic things and it's being made by flawed people trying to do heroic things and i saw then and i continue to see now the common grace of our author jesus christ in the making of this story uh you have so many things that could have gone wrong not just oh arwen could have shown up at helm's deep uh, but you could have had a far more shallow, more Hollywood look at the book, you know, of the oh, level sure. of the original speculation about uh, making the line winch to wardrobe. Oh, remember the old the old myth? Oh, it was going to be, you know, they're going to be in Los Angeles and Edmund's going to be tempted by hot dogs. You know, that right, kind of just yeah, cringe, yeah. cringe Hollywood stuff. The kind of stuff that when you were growing up young and evangelical, you assumed all movies were like that. 
uh, which kind of leads me to another phase here is that um, I was actually reading an article by a guy named uh, Samuel James, who had written a kind of a, a perspective on his experience seeing the Fellowship of the Ring and just casting that in the bigger picture of the evangelical Christian community and how much Christians in particular, especially those who knew about Tolkien and knew the Inkling story and, and knew Middle Earth, how much they were looking forward to this film and how thrilled and relieved these professional Christian Middle Earth fans felt uh, when the first film got it right. And then, of course, later on, largely, you know, the second and third films uh, also got it right. And this uh, he was writing about, and I, I should include this link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, this was kind of a, a, a pivotal moment for a lot of Christians in, in recognizing, OK, first, there's still great things in popular culture. Um, non-Christian creators are still blessed with common grace gifts and they can adapt a story with goodness and beauty and truth like this. Uh, but also that means that fantasy itself is something that Christians can enjoy. Uh, this is not just uh, infested by occult magic. Uh, it is something through right. which we can uh, directly worship Jesus and then come back from that experience in the fantasy world and see our world a little bit differently, a little bit more epically, uh, a little bit more gospel-centered. And then, then especially in those months after September 11th and everyone's talking about good versus evil and what do you do when people are invading your country? Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it didn't just scratch some, you know, patriotic itch uh, but i think for christians uh it managed to come along and echo back a truth uh that we really needed to remember not just in 2001 but for all time uh that flawed people can fight evil um you've got to resist temptation by the one ring you know it's not just a story yeah. about you uh but it is a it is a good and righteous and wise story that tolkien wrote and uh, the fact that people in the early 21st century could adapt it so well for the screen uh, was a source of great encouragement to me personally, even though I just read the book, like within the last few weeks, I finally managed to finish it. Uh, oh, and then by the way, <laughs> my, um, my younger brother had only read the fellowship of the ring book. So a certain character's death at the end oh. of the film took him by surprise. Unfortunately, I had already started reading the two towers book. So I had covered it just enough oh, to not be surprised. Be that would be frustrating if you're yeah yeah that's true that's true yeah I, I largely agree with what you said although i would push back on one thing where you said yeah. well there uh it was encouraging that there was enough in enough goodness in pop culture still i i would say actually uh what we i think what encouraged people was there was enough appreciation amongst in pop culture for these values um because uh, pop culture didn't, I think that was the thing. Is pop culture didn't really offer a lot of this, uh, but I think people realized, oh, there there was enough appreciation in pop culture for these values of beauty and truth. Um, and I, I think the Lord of the Rings films were made in a narrow window, uh, where the technology was like they couldn't have been made in the early nineties. No, um, couldn't do a cave troll or Balrog they, or any of those things. But they also the scripts wouldn't have survived today. The castings wouldn't have survived today. Um, every things are too politicized, um, especially with anything deemed to be a blockbuster. Yeah. Um, a lot of things are too politicized today. And, um, you know, Peter Jackson specifically said, well, I've got my own political beliefs. He goes, I didn't want that impacting the film. He goes, people don't care about my good political for beliefs. him. Good said, for they, him. He said, they, he said, we specifically wanted to keep it. What, what would, what would Tolkien's vision be? And he, and he said, you know, maybe we got it wrong from time to time, but we were trying to give Tolkien's vision, uh, even if we didn't do it perfectly. Um, and that was a goal that I don't know if a lot of people would have today. 
Well, when you go out on the road, whether it's Middle Earth or any other fantasy land, there's no telling what you will find. Andrew D. Meredith's novel Thrice is our third sponsor for this episode. In his story, we find the cave of a bear and people who are trying to destroy a small boy. Here's the back cover. Forced out on the road with the boy left in his care, Jovan determines to journey into the cave of the bear to seek out those that would do him and his boy harm. It is the boy and his bottomless well of soul-searing magic that they seek. They would do anything to exploit it, and Jovan would do anything to stop them. This is book one of the Needle and Leaf series from author Andrew D. Meredith. Here's an endorsement from Graham McNeil, who's a New York Times bestselling author of A Thousand Sons. McNeil says, quote, Steeped in a wealth of brooding, Slavic folklore, Thrice is a deeply personal story of a reluctant father and the mysterious child in his care. It beautifully weaves a tale of personal survival with a much grander narrative of ill-fated bargains and dangerous magic of the past to tell a story that's both intimate and epic. End quote. You can find that info, the purchase link, and the book cover for Andrew D. Meredith's Thrice by going to the show notes for this episode or lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. I don't know if you follow the Nerdrotic podcast uh, at all. Uh, he's, he covers like all these different different franchises. I, I, don't, I think, how do you have enough time to consume this much material? I wonder that about like, every popular cultural podcast that's clearly yeah, being made like, by someone like, who's oh, not doing it He's talking about the latest James Bond film. He's talking about Dune. He'll talk about Marvel. I'm talking, and I'm watching all, all the streaming all series at once. It must be yes. a dark room with it, like 17 like different Andy, screens at it's once. It's like that Andy Sandberg Emmys you know, video where he opened up with like, how do you have time for all these mini shows? He just locks Andy Sandberg locks himself in a bunker, you know, for a year, you know, 24 seven consuming stuff. But uh, no, he, he, and he said he was talking about the Lord of the Rings TV show, which at some point we may discuss. And he's, he was talking about some of the directions of it. And he said, I can't believe it's gotten to this. He goes, I am an agnostic and I find myself fiercely defending the Roman Catholic talking. Oh, there you go. Said, Hacked your imagination. And, didn't that? Didn't and it? He, and he said, you know, he says, look, he goes, I'm an agnostic. He goes, these are religious books. He goes, yes. He said, they have a, they're informed by a religious perspective on the world. Absolutely. And, uh, Not allegorical. Tolkien despised it in all its forms, correct. but it was certainly meaningful and reflecting the reality that not only Tolkien experienced, but that we all experience i'm sort of speechless still sometimes as i try to sum up the films but because they're hard to sum up just like the books are hard to sum up but um there's so many good things about the films uh someone asked me recently they said uh, family member asked me like, what's your favorite film the lord of the rings and yes they, all one film and and they as one film yeah and they said really why i said well because it's the stuff of life it's got everything it's got good and evil it's got hope and sadness and tragedy and new life and death and it's got all kinds of things it's really the stuff of life um you know someone asked my dad do you think some of these actors will get pigeonholed after these these roles my dad said no they said do you think your ledge will get pigeonholed after he goes no he'll he'll, because it has everything it has it's not it's not just it has it's not like it's just a comedy role or it's just a drama it's it's got everything of life in there and um so that's it's really one of those films and i I was thinking there's a great book that was just published by rod dreyer 
called Live Not By Lies. And it's a book about, it's a series of interviews. You're nodding like you've uh, read it. Well, I, I've, re- I've read his first book, or well, not his first book, but um, I'm still reading The Benedict Option. Uh, the Benedict mostly Option, so I yeah. can read Live Not By Lies. I mean, it's it's not okay. a franchise, the Dreher verse, you know, but right, I still right. kind of want to read them in order. <laughs> uh, but he, has, it's a series of, I mean, it's a, a book by him, but it's, it also includes a lot of interviews, bits of interviews or summaries of interviews with, people who survived in the Eastern Bloc under Soviet Soviet Union. And I was struck by one family who uh, the mother would read to her children the Bible a lot, but read a lot of fantasy, a lot of fantasy. Mm. And he said, how much would you, he said, yeah, they said, my mother would read to us every day. So how long would she read every day? He said, three hours a day. I said, really? Three hours a day? And he said, yeah, she'd read all the time. And um, he said, what were the most notable works? And they said, the most notable works, the most impacting works they read to us were uh, the Lord of the Rings. And he said, why Tolkien? And they, I think she said, because we knew that Mordor was real. There we you knew go. That, we knew yeah. that all these things that he would write about, they were real. They were not just made up. And that's partly why I like the Lord of the Rings maybe more than the Chronicles of Narnia. It, they are, it is a darker book. I mean, if you want to think, huh, I want to, vaca- I want to go on a vacation. Where where do you want a vacation? Oh, Narnia, you know? clearly. It's like uh, you, you want a vacation in Narnia. It's like, well, we'll, maybe we'll have Earth. you drop drop you off in Middle Earth. Uh, well, where in Middle Earth? I mean, in Narnia, just Rivendell, like, just a, Rivendell, yeah, nowhere Rivendell. Else. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a few places. The a, Shire, Priestgowering, yeah, yeah, Shire, uh, Lothlorien. Um, well, where in Mark? What are you dropping me off? <laughs> you know, I mean, so that's uh, so, but and it's not really a secret that uh, my wife and I are our oldest son. Uh, died two years ago, um, very unexpectedly. And so, I think that seeing that, like the first one of the first films that we watched was uh, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, when we were able to watch movies again, um, it was the Lord of the Rings because all those things felt relatable, and it felt like it wasn't just cotton candy. It wasn't just a, a yes, fun. Yes. You don't want just a pure escape of. Well, because at some point you don't want to escape what feels real. Um, maybe you want to escape, get away a little bit, but at some point you don't want to escape what feels really real and important. Uh, you don't want to escape when, when, when grief, when sadness, when darkness and evil feel not just real, but important in what's going on in your life. You don't want to feel like you're forgetting it. It doesn't feel comforting to forget those things for a couple hours. So. That's why I think the Lord of the Rings spoke to us and still. Uh, yeah. And we've already crossed over into chapter three, 20 years later. How do we view the film and its fandom? Uh, you've already really been speaking about those emotional results. And that reminds me of back last spring when my dad died, I would just listen to uh, excerpts of the soundtrack uh, by Howard Shore, uh, particularly uh, the ending of The Return of the King. And I mean, that's how I discovered the films originally really was uh, I'd been keeping up with movie soundtracks. I'm stepping back to 2001 real quick. I'd been keeping up with movie soundtrack websites where it's like you would get excerpts from the CD tracks uh, on real player. You'd have to have the real player plug in. Uh, and uh, everybody was talking about this, this, you know, the soundtrack by a guy named Howard Shore for Fellowship of the Ring. A guy we'd never heard of. And that we'd never heard of. Like, I think he did like SNL. He maybe led the SNL band or something, you know. And and I just, I start listening to this music and I'm just absolutely transported. And I I play no musical instruments whatsoever. That is my confession. But I love 
this kind of music. And once I heard that score, I realized that this is a story I think that I could get into, like not just seeing the film, but I've mm-hmm. got to read the book. And I heard about the book from you know casual acquaintances and stuff. I believe it or not, the name of the land, Middle Earth, threw me off, especially because there is a there is a old eighties or seventies version of the cover which showed, I think it was from the Hobbit, which showed uh, Bilbo in the cave with uh, Gollum looking in you know complete eighties uh, uh, horror. Uh, mode there and of course it's in a cave so I, for some reason i thought is this whole land set like underground like i don't know it feels <laughs> kind of cramped and claustrophobic i don't know if i'm gonna like this um that's completely uh, the illustrator's fault there for putting me off trying the novel but catching back up to the present uh now of course middle earth is bigger you know than some land underground or something like you said it it enlarges our view of the real world and it helps us to confront those realities including you know, the death of a family member. And I'm, I'm listening to the Into the West song and just, uh, you know, crying my eyes Great out at song. night. Yeah, Great wonderful, song. wonderful song. And, and you mentioned earlier how these films came at just the right moment. Like the technology was just advanced enough to be able to pull off creatures like Gollum uh, or, yeah. or vast settings like Mount Doom or Minas Tirith, uh, but not so advanced uh, that it would encounter this kind of uh, political cause juking that people are doing increasingly with, with blockbuster movies now. Uh, or just trying to, you know, wring every last drop of gold uh, out of the franchise, you know, as has sometimes yeah. been unfairly accused of the of the MCU and, you know, some of those big budget uh, series like that. Uh, it it got in at just the right time, uh, not just for the society, but also for us. And and I think uh, now, twenty years later, you know, we've had multiple re-releases of uh, Fellowship of the Ring as well as its uh, sequels. Uh, you, you got it, as I mentioned on VHS <laughs> on DVD, and then you got the extended edition, which we haven't even mentioned yeah. yet. You know, the theatrical cut three hours long, and then the extended edition comes out 20 minutes of extra scenes. You actually get to see the elves of Lothlorien, uh, give all of the gifts to each member of the fellowship. You get to see where Sam's rope came from and you get to see where Legolas got his daggers, you know, and, and all of this, uh, this. Yeah. really niche stuff but very meaningful stuff meaningful to those who are familiar with the books uh that to me i think was also unprecedented is that there this idea that there's more of the story out there and i think it just kind of contributed to that expansive feeling of middle earth and then eventually you know two towers in return well two towers theatrical is three hours return of the king they couldn't get it to three hours they had to do it, yeah. it was gonna be three hours 20 minutes and then the extended version is like a whole extra hour longer um, and that, I think just that, that impression of always more helps to grow the fan base. And then 20 years later, you've got memes everywhere. It was hard to watch the fellowship. My wife and I end in two towers because you keep seeing the meme moments. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard and, and all the rest. I know. <laughs> Legolas is in a lot of the memes. Gollum's in a lot of the memes. Yeah. It's just, it's what nuts. struck me. Well, first of all, I, I had recently rewatched the Hobbit, a certain version of the Hobbit. I see. <laughs> wink wink uh-huh yeah uh but the uh what struck me is, is i was like this is like a film for grown-ups <laughs> it ages so well the special effects age so well it's amazing how much better the special effects are than in the hobbit films overall um and it's and you know you watch what's funny is you, you watch like the cartoons especially the 1978 lord of the rings it's like all these 1970s hairstyles on the characters. Um, this doesn't, this doesn't 
look different than no. like 20 years later. 20 years no, later, it, it like doesn't look like, like oh, yeah, a 2001 like, movie oh, yeah, that was made in the late early 90s. 2000s movie, you know. Yeah, yeah, everybody's in black leather and slow motion because we've all got to be the Matrix now. Yeah, you you don't have that. Um so it's very timeless. Uh, it's it's much more artistic in how it's done. Um I I'm kind of struck by how well because i remember at the time thinking how well will this movie age um because some movies like the later harry potter movies are aging much better than the first two or oh three. definitely definitely uh, the first couple especially are not aging well yeah um, prisoner of azkaban has aged magnificently i think yes. not uh, visual effects were caught up uh, it was just a very contemporary and yet timeless sense that that was adapted and then everyone after that is aged better. On the film, on the book, it was more yeah. of a, a true adaptation, not right. just. The only thing that's not aged well is the movie four, uh, where uh, where everybody's suddenly in long hair for some reason. They're like, oh yeah, you're uh, in no. the mid two thousands. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone like instantly had long hair. That was sort of yeah. Well, that, that was I mean, that was the goal of the filmmakers for Fellowship and the rest is is to be timeless. You know, there's no, uh, you know, uh, synth sounding. You know, late nineties, early two thousands end credits song. Like they they're, they're yeah. very intentional about that, which by itself I think also tributes uh, the motives of the creators to get as close as possible to that sense of timelessness that Tolkien captured. Uh, they weren't trying to modernize it. They wanted to be uh, they wanted to be respectful to the past. And that comes through not just in the story, but in the story behind the stories. Respect for the past. Uh, the world did not begin the day you were born or the day that you got woke or whatever. Uh, there is wisdom in the past. There are traditional virtues that are worth fighting for. There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. Uh, it is based. Lord of the Rings is what they call now based. You know, just, just respectful of those traditional values. You know, family, the Shire. All of those things, the nobility of the king, like obviously they give Aragorn more of a character arc where he's not sure he wants right. to be king at first, but it's more about, well, man is so flawed. Why, why should I be king? You know, maybe I should just be a ranger. Um, at least the changes that they made, I think, uh, are at least in, in keeping with the spirit of the books, with some exceptions, like what's this ranger caught off his guard or, or Legolas's action yeah. hero moments. And, and there's, there's so much that does come through, like the, the, uh, and I'll, say so i reread the books after our son died and there's a lot that really stands stands in uh or stands out as far as uh just how people are affected by different experiences of course in the movies did a very good job capturing how uh frodo is permanently wounded uh by carrying the ring and he's not able to enjoy life the same way after um which i can relate to and my even after there's a part in the book i'd never noticed before it's in the return of the king where mary and pippin are discussing gandalf who's reborn and pippin says oh he's not he's not very different is he and mary says oh yes he is how is he different he says he's more quick to anger he's more yeah. quick to laugh um just little lines like that after gandalf's death and because it is an actual death and, and rebirth. And that's one of the great things about the movie is they actually do kill Gandalf. Um, and they, they don't, they don't do like a little wink, wink, nod, nod. Oh, he might come back. They actually treat it for what it should be. What it was in the book was a real more moment of mourning. Um, and it's one of the, still one of the best, even though he comes back, it's one of the best death scenes. Oh yeah. I, I, st I, think, I, I still weep at that when he goes down, fly you fools. Yeah, I think and the Frodo best screaming, death scene it is works. I think the oh, best definitely. death scene is born yes. there. Um, it's it's incredible but those moments where uh you know because i and 
even with the Gandalf bit, I I relate to that because I feel like after our uh, son died, I feel like I'm a little quicker to get angry. I'm a little quicker to laugh at a joke. It's very strange, but um, my just the wisdom that Tolkien had in his life experiences uh, comes through in the film and all, all three films, and it's. Uh, it's not perfect because uh, there's some things maybe I wish were emphasized a little more. Um, it's it's not quite as clear in the films that the hobbits the hobbits are the ones who are resistant to the ring because they they don't desire power. I think that's there in the films. It's just not quite as emphasized as it is not as clear as it is in the books. Right. It could be in the commentary um, for the films, even if it's not voiced in the dialogue. You you may right, see right. it but not be told. Um, it. Yes. So um, there's so much uh, there, and I'm I'm still very quick to criticize Faramir, uh, the changes to Faramir. Um, I, and I know why they did what they did, but I think they still completely missed the mark. Cause I don't think it actually accomplished their new goal of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but, uh, really Arwen's like the main thing in, <laughs> in the fellowship of the ring. Yeah. In many ways, the fellowship She's of the ring the is only the best adaptation, adaptation of the book. Um, and even though there were, the other two work as films like the two towers i've sometimes i don't know which is the best film i've wondered sometimes i wonder if the two towers might be the best standalone film not the best adaptation but i've wondered sometimes if that might be the best film i don't know i go back and forth and i kind of like that i go back and forth it tells me there's not a clear dud (laughs) right the The only reason why the two towers wasn't nominated for so many academy awards is because the fellowship had gotten what was it i forget if it was 11 nominations or and i forget what the exact ratio was of nominations I think it was 13 nominations uh, return of the king we, I thought, we all know 13. why they didn't get the oscar for best picture because everyone knew in the back of their mind they were going to give it to the return of the king everyone knew it was very yeah. predictable yeah everyone they knew kept they, going on that course we knew they yes. would get they knew they would feel guilty if they gave howard shore three oscars they yes feel guilty if they did that so they decided to not give him three yeah, oscars they just... would feel guilty if they gave peter jackson three oscars for what was filmed as one movie um because it wasn't godfather one two and three it was actually film put together in production is one film and i think that i honestly think that's why because the 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 uh academy was going to feel guilty about giving out that many oscars and that i think was the last time and other observers have noted this but i think this was the last time really you had such a popular franchise in in a you know it's a genre picture you know it's fantasy i mean that basically now all fantasy franchises now are just superheroes, not so much traditional fantasy right. with swords and horses and things. But back then it was so new and it broke down so many barriers. Uh, among them, the divide between you know the the high literature and the movies are supposed to be you know high literature and things. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, okay, we'll we'll toss a visual effects award at uh, Marvel Studios, you know, for for their you know one of their fourteen flicks they released in the last year. Uh, we'll, we'll keep them happy and pacified over there, but Avengers is never going to win a best picture. Well, Return of the King did win a best picture and deservedly. Uh, and it was the last time I think I remember caring about the Academy Awards or any of those things yeah. because not just because, oh, that's my fandom, but because this is a franchise that the masses loved. It was wildly popular. Yeah. And yet it was also had that lasting artistic merit. And I think you see yeah. that reflected as we draw to a close here, but you see that reflected in many other films that want to be the Lord of the Rings in at least some way, you know, either fantastical or visual effects or big battles or whatever. Hollywood's been elitist for forever and very distant from regular people, but there was at least enough of a, with the Academy, there was enough of a recognition that back then it was like, 
you know what? Gladiator was super popular. It's okay that that might also be a fantastic. That's true. Gladiator was two thousand, right? Release count. Yeah. Uh, I think ninety nine. Maybe it was two thousand. Maybe it was okay. two thousand. Um, I think it was the two thousand Academy Awards. I think it came out because it's like the next year, right? I think so. Yeah, two thousand, two thousand one for the previous mm-hmm. year, whatever. Um, yeah. So I think it came out ninety nine. Academy is like two thousand. Um, and same with like you know, Braveheart got an Academy Award. Uh, nominated the same year as Apollo thirteen, which should have won over Braveheart in my opinion. But people realize like, hey, those are great films. They're popular. They're also well made. And there was kind of this, hey, it's okay for these things to maybe line up once in a while. Now there's not really that idea right. anymore. Um, Very and in neat some ways, now. in some ways, I kind of wonder if they're right. And so, because a lot of the films are kind of crafted by committee now. For let's see, let's please this this group. We'll please this group. We'll, we'll and we'll give Disney this, the best animated film award we'll again. This demographic will cater to this, this, this demographic. Let's manufacture a film that's the least offensive. Yeah, as, as, as little offensive as possible. And, and like we don't want to offend china after all yeah yeah let's 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 make sure okay we'll we'll put this thing in there but we'll make sure we can cut it out for this country (laughs) so we don't offend them um and then we kind of craft these films by committee now um and create these products instead of these artistic pictures um which the lord of the rings was and it was kind of a I, i saw this bit uh it was a new york times journalist i retweeted it on my uh twitter account I don't remember her name, but she uh, she's like, a, I think I don't, I don't even know if she's like a film reviewer for New York Times, but she uh, retweeted like or tweeted out last year. Well, I just rewatched the Lord of the Rings films and it uh, hit me sadly that I had just uh, watched the peak of cinema. Wow. Wow. And that it basically wasn't ever going to get better than this. And I'm like, oh. Sadly, I think that she's right. It could be. I mean, we've had other great films, though, that borrowed at least from this tradition. Now, you know, the Lord of the Rings films borrow from Tolkien's tradition, which borrowed from a more ancient tradition of storytelling. You know, the northernness, the mythology, all of this. You know, everybody's borrowing from everyone else. But then you also have one or two degrees removed, like uh, even some superhero movies uh, I borrow to some extent uh, from at least the big battle scenes of middle earth, you know, the Avengers have this big mm-hmm. middle earth style clash in, in Wakanda. And then of course uh, at the, at the very end in Endgame, you know, that's at least an epic battle with stakes and, you know, people are dying and stuff. And yet it is definitely more popular level. It's definitely more by committee. Um, it, it is. And it's also, especially like the little, like, Oh yes, we're going to have every, so we'll get a cameo for every hero holding the infinity gauntlet. Uh, we can't miss someone. And then we're going to have like, Oh, all the female heroes ended up on the battlefield. Of the exact yes. Same, yes. Exact same spot of the battlefield. Okay. And there's so not there. a lot of meaning there other than fan service or response to studio notes. And, and you can, you can see the seams there, you know, where they've patched in some things that are, they're clearly designed for, right. you know, pleasing fans and not always in a, in a, in a way that brings meaning. Like I'm, I'm good with pleasing fans, you know, Legolas right. taking down a Muma kill and that still only counts as one, you know, that's total fan service. But right. by then, I think they've earned it overall because yeah, the, the rest of the film, yeah, the rest of the film has meaning that is deeper and more transcendent and more timeless. Yeah. Um, I think that the closest that I've seen, and of course, I'm on brand here, I would say that the closest I've seen to borrow successfully from The Lord of the Rings was actually Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was originally pitched, I believe, as The Lord of the Rings with superheroes. Uh, you get obviously, you know, DC hero world, um, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Flash, Cyborg and Aquaman. Uh, these are our six heroes, but 
they are at least trying to capture a feeling like that, where it's it's our world only with superheroes and aliens and Atlanteans and such like. But there is a similar regard for the past. And, and, and I mean, you've got a, a prologue type scene with a Sauron like character and everything. And frankly, I'm sitting there earlier this year and I'm getting some of those same vibes like, wow. You respect the Lord of the Rings films like the Lord of the Rings films respected the Lord of the Rings books, and it carries forward that regard for ancient truth and wisdom and heroism. And so I think the Fellowship's legacy will continue, uh, even if it's just everybody borrowing from everybody else, so long as you understand what made it work. It wasn't just technology. It wasn't just really good casting or the beauty of New Zealand uh, or the skill of the Weta workshop craftspersons. Uh, it was the regard for the meaning of the story. And Christian fans know that that meaning ultimately comes from the gospel. And that's where Tolkien was getting it, Catholic or otherwise. He regarded uh, the creator, capital C, and had that theology of subcreation and new catastrophe and everything that could have only come from a biblical worldview. I have to ask you, do you think that anyone will ever attempt to do a remake of The Lord of the Rings? God forbid. God do you forbid. think that they will try? I agree with forbid. <laughs> probably. Probably. Amazon will try. If we want to tee that up, I think it could be kind of our prologue here. <laughs> See, we're going to have multiple endings, you know? We're going to have multiple endings. I don't know if anyone's brave enough. I, don't brave enough. I really no, don't. I certainly hope not. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't even if, want them to remake the made, Harry Potter series, much less Middle Earth. If they had been really campy and dated and like the hairstyle, like, oh, yeah, that is a hairstyle from the early 2000s, I don't. I, I think that may it would have been very likely, but I don't know if anyone would be brave enough to maybe maybe if they after do, you and be, I are dead. Yes, that's going to be try. when it happens. I mean, because they someone was finally got brave enough to try to remake Mary Poppins, um, and uh, you know because they did the Mary Poppins Returns movie, and I've heard I think that I think it was the writer or director talking about the pressure, you know, and that was Mary Poppins, right? It's not the same. Well, it's as technically a reboot sequel. It was a reboot, to, you know, but trying it's to remaking ride the, the line character. there. It was remaking the character. That's remaking true. Bert, recasting. Uh, so it's not, okay, not even, but even then they weren't brave enough for a true remake, which Disney likes remakes. They really want to remake all their old yes, movies. Live action. And they, and they were not brave enough. Remake. Disney was not brave enough to remake Mary Poppins, which says something. So I don't know if, uh, I don't, I think it will be after you and I are dead, if it happens. Well, in which case they would have probably lost all measure of connection uh, with the virtues <laughs> and the worldview from which Tolkien was drawing and, and even from which they'll, the, they'll the just Peter create, Jackson They'll just have an algorithm drawing. make the film for them. Oh dear. Maybe, a, <laughs> well, I know I thought that Peter Jackson was the horror director, but you're coming up with some pretty scary possibilities there. So, so that there we go. Roll the credits. Uh, roll that ethereal uh, Inya song. Uh, we are wrapping up this episode, but stay tuned. Uh, in about five or six months or so, in stores everywhere, you can get the special extended edition of this episode, uh, in which Rillian and I are gifted with cloaks uh, from the Galadrim in Lothlorien. Uh, you can actually see where Frodo did this, and you can see where he actually talked with Bilbo. Uh, about uh, what they're going to do like right in the middle of the party all kinds of uh, bonus features it's it's amazing uh there's uh, i think even uh, george lucas may put some extra monsters in there it's pretty cool <laughs> so uh really while we are spinning off wild fantasies like this uh, you already mentioned your twitter uh we talked about talking beasts like where can people follow you on the interwebs so on the interwebs i am at prince underscore Rillian on twitter um 
I'm not doing as much with my YouTube channel uh, these days. Uh, it's just a little too busy for that. And it's sometimes hard with like, I'm in the playroom right now. So it's kind of hard to find a place where my wife is good with me broadcasting to the universe. Um, best place really is uh, at, at narniweb.com uh, on our Talking Beasts podcast, where I'm one of the regular, uh, I, I used to host it. Now Glumpuddle hosts it and I'm kind of a regular on the podcast. And uh, yeah. And I'll I'll tweet out things once in a while. Oh, we will tweet you and uh, the share for this podcast uh, when we share that. It should be, I think, our last episode before Christmas, the way that I've got it worked out. So during a busy holiday season and even a time of grief memories and all that, uh, thank you for joining us. And just thank you for how open you are and sharing those experiences. I think that that is also a great virtuous choice there uh, in order to help people get through the holidays, which can be a rough time, kind of fight for that happiness. And it is stories like The Lord of the Rings the Fellowship of the Ring book and film, I think, that help us to do that. So Godspeed, Aurelian. I wish I knew some Elvish here uh, to send you back onto that flying horse borrowed from the other fantasy land. <laughs> I guess I can just say once again, uh, further up and further in. Indeed, sir. Merry Christmas. Godspeed. So, Stephen, a favorite moment in the movies. Uh, this is really Naomi's favorite moment, but it, it's kind of a theme that she and I both like. It's when... Uh, some people are threatening Gimli and Legolas says you would die before your stroke falls. And that um, friendship between Gimli and Legolas, you know, when, when they should hate each other, they should be on these kind of opposite sides or whatever and how they become these very close friends uh, through the trial. They go through the battles they go through. Uh, that's something we really like, uh, you know, just th this unity of different people uh, around a common cause. It, it's man, we, we need more of that nowadays, don't we? But that was a great discussion uh, between you and Rillian, and I uh, hope you listeners have uh, enjoyed that. So our thanks to him, and let's go to our comm station. And we got a new message from Brielle, and she listened to episode 90, Does the Harry Potter series cast or condemn real-world dark magic? And Brielle says, quote, I highly enjoyed this episode. I was definitely raised in the anti-Harry Potter camp, but I eventually came around, actually by way of the the real problem is that Harry and his friends get rewarded for breaking the rules argument. I really appreciated what you had to say about that because I never really tried to defeat that argument. And I just started reading the books. These days, I'm not going to go around praising or blanket endorsing the books, but I'll defend Rowling against silly accusations of her being a Satanist or anything of the sort. Anything she thinks too little of the supernatural and not too much. End quote. Well, that is a very fascinating thing to me. And, and that is, again, I'm not a reader of the books and I haven't seen the movies, but that is what really gets my attention because, um, you know, after listening to that interview with, between you guys, Stephen, I, between you and Shane, it really got me thinking that, okay, so this is not a book that's really, you know, endorsing this sort of like delve into the supernatural. That's so interesting for Brielle to say that, that it, she thinks too little of the supernatural. Now she, Brielle had more to say and she went on to talk about how the books, uh, you know, it points to life after death. And I've come to the conclusion recently, Stephen, that I think our, our world right now thinks way too little of the supernatural and life after death. And it's actually even a troubling thing I've been seeing um, among certain groups of Christians lately, is that number one, I, I think there's a trend in the church that's working too much towards a earthly utopia. And number two, there is sort of ignoring of the spiritual battle that's going on around us. And uh, 
you know, we were, we were talking about this recently among the Lorehaven staff that in response to Mike Duran's article, which we've discussed a little bit before, is that we have to be aware that we're always in a spiritual battle. Whoever the human opponents are of the church or, or us individually, there is a spiritual battle that's going on. And that those that is our true enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's always interesting when books kind of point that out to us. Like, you know, we're uh, my, my kids are performing in a Christmas carol right now. It's about, you know, the ghosts of Christmas past, ghosts of Christmas future, all the stuff about ghosts. And it's like, well, okay, that's not exactly right either. But again, it's that hunger for something beyond this life or a supernatural reality. I think that's a good thing for that desire to be awakened in us because we live in such a materialist world right now. I think that's a great point about A Christmas Carol. And if I've made a similar point before, I seem to have forgotten it. But I think it's a great rejoinder to the idea that a story with non-Christian elements in it, like ghosts or divination or things like that, I mean, those are not biblical practices that Christians ought to be doing. And we, we certainly should not endorse that kind of thing in a nonfiction context. But the Harry Potter world also has ghosts. And if we are going to be opposed to it for that reason, because scripture does say that you should not seek special revelation from the dead, that's very clear. Uh, but if we're to critique Harry Potter, then we also need to critique A Christmas Carol, which is, of course, right there in the title is Christmas, the celebration of Christ's mass, you know, Christ's arrival of the nativity originally. Uh, but the story itself is far more about the life of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and these spirits of past, present, and future Christmas come to him and they give him special revelation uh, as if saints or some kind of angelic visitation. Uh, Dickens is playing there with the English ghost story tradition and just mixing and matching it with the Judeo-Christian elements of the story. So if nothing else, maybe we ought to be consistent. If Harry Potter has got to go because there are ghosts in it uh, and special revelation from non-divine sources, then A Christmas Carol would also need to go. Uh, maybe there's a way to Christianize A Christmas Carol. Maybe some authors have done that. Um, I think it's already pretty Christian as it is. Uh, and yet there's also some moralism in there, you know, but there's also grace and mercy. Sure. So. Christians have to read that story, and we are the ones who bring the gospel into a story like that, and we're the ones who bring the gospel into a story like Harry Potter. We're not getting the gospel out of it necessarily. We are seeing that this is a story that is made in God's universe using God's parts found scattered about the house. We're the ones who know how to assemble them and say, well, this is what it actually means in God's greater yeah. true meta story. If we can't do that, if we find ourselves tempted to sin and unable to bring the gospel into it, then yes, we need to put the story away, even if it's a classic like A Christmas Carol or a newer fairy story like a Harry Potter series. Yeah, the constant thought I've been having while watching A Christmas Carol this week as my kids perform in it is the parable that Jesus tells of the man that hoarded his wealth and then all of a sudden he faced judgment. <laughs> oh yeah, Dickens' take on that basically, exactly. Yeah. It, it's really just a retelling of that and you know the, the different ghosts of Christmas past and present and future I mean, that is very much the Holy Spirit at work in Scrooge's heart. And yes, it is sort of a moralistic tale, but so much of what he's convicted about is what the Holy Spirit does convict us about, you know, just the greed and the, and the coldness of heart and really just kind of hatred towards people uh, and just a disdain for the poor. Like God cares about the poor and he cares about generosity and he, you know, he cares about family and he, um, and, and he cares about rest. You know, Scrooge is a workaholic. So there are so many things that he's convicted of that are correct, that he's correctly convicted of. Now, 
yes, Jesus doesn't appear on the scene and, and save his soul. You know, there's really no preaching of the gospel, but I, I think it's a really short jump to go from that story into the gospel. And, and I, I'm seeing this now, but you know, with you and uh, Shane talking about Harry Potter, it's not that far of a jump to go from there to a more gospel centered meaning uh, that we can, that we can find. And so it, it's definitely opened me up to Harry Potter. Cause again, I've, I've never really been that interested in it. I, I've wanted to read it out of curiosity, but um, it's just, uh, it's not my cup of tea, you know, necessarily for fantasy, but uh, you guys are warming me up to it. Well, of course, avoid it. If it gives you the heebie jeebies or flashbacks <laughs> to an occultic past. I mean, that's that we laugh about that, but it is very serious. Some Christians yeah. do struggle with those associations and I would never want to dismiss those or slander them as a legalist or something like that. Uh, if you've got a genuine conscience issue with that, uh, what the old translation would have called scruples, then avoid, definitely avoid. But if you don't, then it may be something you enjoy, uh, especially if someone you love is already into it and you would like to join them for excursions in that world. Speaking of which, next on Fantastical Truth, our final episode of this year, Christmas time is here. And we're going to kind of take a break with our next episode uh, just by echoing a live stream replay from earlier this month. Once again, uh, this one is called Behold the Fantastic Glories Redeeming YA Fantasy. Marion Jacobs and James R. Hannibal joined me for this Realmakers live stream, not just to discern the nonsense and nastiness in our favorite uh, stories or stories that we don't like so much like we did before, but we're going to uh, mostly thank God for the chance to find great stories and receive them with thanksgiving and holiness. That is our mission at Lorehaven, and it will especially be our mission with the Lorehaven Guild, opening for monthly book quests and community starting next month. We hope you will join us not only for the podcast continuing and for the Lorehaven Guild, but for Christ's glory as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>